Today's episode is brought to you by the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. To learn more, visit usbank.com slash altitude go. Today's episode is brought to you by Wise, the account that helps you manage your money around the world, which is huge for travelers. I've been a customer and a fan for 10 years. The Wise account helps you send, spend, and receive in different currencies fast, and they do it all without hidden fees or exchange rate markups. This service has been so critical for me in my life as a traveler, as a nomad, as somebody living abroad, and you can join 16 million customers and learn how the Wise account can help you out on the road at wise.com slash travel. That's wise, W-I-S-E dot com slash travel, or download the app. This episode of Zero to Travel is brought to you by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. I've been very fortunate, blessed, lucky, whatever word you want to use, to be here still. And so why not take that opportunity and devote my time and energy to being able to make that happen. That was a clip from my guest today when he said he was able to make that happen. He was referring to travel because when he made the commitment, he had just $12 in his bank account, $12. And one thing I really wanted to explore was how somebody who was never able to save up a lot of money for their entire adult life was able to turn that around and save $20,000 and later travel 16,000 miles through 34 states and 18 national parks fulfilling his travel dreams. How does that happen? How do you change a lifetime of habits? We get into that and he also shares very openly, which I really appreciated, his journey to recovery from addiction because he was living in a sober house at the time when he'd made his decision to travel. So we talk about that, talk about using travel as a bridge to create connections. And Matt is an international piano entertainer. So you know he has some stories from the road. I was really excited just to hear what that lifestyle is like and to get to live a little bit of that vicariously through his stories. What is it like to sit there at a piano and create the vibe for a room. If you've been to a piano bar, you know what I'm talking about. Matt does that for a living. So we talk about his music, his experience touring, his time living in New York City, why travel was the thing for him that he felt he needed to help him grow as an individual, valuing minimalism over possessions, some of the benefits of that. We talk about being analytical versus being spontaneous in terms of making those spur-of-the-moment travel decisions. Sometimes you think you might want to step back and think things over. Other times, maybe you just need to go. I'll share some more thoughts about that after the interview in this show. And one of the things that Matt talks about that is a bit counterintuitive actually surprised me because it's generally not advice I would give. But in a certain situation, I think it makes a lot of sense. In Matt's, it did. And I want to pull that out and talk about that as well after the interview and leave you with a quote, of course, and plenty more. A lot packed into this show today, and you're going to hear it right now. So buckle up, strap in. Thanks for being here. And welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. (laughs) 
You're listening to the Zero to Travel podcast, where we explore exciting travel-based work, lifestyle, and business opportunities, helping you to achieve your wildest travel dreams. And now your host, world wanderer and travel junkie, Jason Moore. Hey there, it's Jason with ZeroToTravel.com. Welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks for hanging out, letting me bring a little travel into your ears today. This is a show to help you travel the world on your terms to fill your life with as much travel as you desire, no matter what your situation or experience. How are you doing, my friend? I hope this podcast finds you well. I've got a wonderful guest on today's show who is from this community. I always encourage people to reach out because... This is, after all, a community-powered show. It's all about sharing. If you ever want to get in touch, by the way, drop me a line. Jason at ZeroToTravel.com is my email. I read them all. You can also leave me a voicemail, which somebody did recently. I'll play that later in the show. And I want to say thanks to them just for checking in on me. You'll hear what that's all about later. But you can leave me a voicemail just by clicking that link. 90 seconds or less is all it takes. You don't have to sign up with an email or anything. So get in touch. This is a two-way conversation. And that's what Matt did. Matt got in touch with me, shared his story, how he went from having addiction issues and being in a sober living house with just $12 in his bank account to saving $20,000 in seven months and taking off to follow his travel dreams. How inspiring. And not just inspiring, it's a story that's filled with a lot of lessons, a lot of takeaways from this conversation, some practical takeaways in terms of saving and mindset around travel and things like that. And also, you know, those perspectives that we get from other people, from listening to other people's stories. And that's what this is all about, right? Getting those new perspectives that we can't get on our own. That's what I love about interview shows. And that's what I love about having the chance to interview people interview guests, whether they're from the community or other places, and bring them on and share those conversations with you. So thanks for being a part of this. And I'm going to bring you that interview in a second. I do want to share something exciting that has been added to my favorite flight search tool in the last month. And I think this is a wonderful addition. And also, not so much a hack, but just a little thing you can do in that flight search tool that takes less than half a second that can help you find cheaper flights during the holidays and beyond. Now, when I'm searching for flights, I always go to Google Flights first. I just love the way it's laid out. It's easy to add the different filters. You can see a list of the best departing flights, a calendar of costs, all that good stuff. I generally try, if possible, to book directly on the airline, and that's where I actually book the flights. But I always start with Google Flights as my initial search point. And a little over a month ago, they added carbon emissions as a column. So you can actually see the impact that your flight is going to have. Let me read a little bit more about this right from Google's website. You can actually sort by carbon emissions on Google Flights and your flight search results will be ordered from lower to higher emissions. How they estimate carbon emissions is using the European Environmental Agency emissions estimates with the most up-to-date algorithmic model from 2019. And if you want to read a little bit more about it, they talk about why some flights have lower emissions. And they also say that when a train is available on your route, it'll be listed on Google Flight search results because traveling by train may result in significantly lower carbon emissions compared to flying 
That's right there on the Google website that I'm reading. So whether they go really in-depth with the train searches or not, I'm not sure. But I do love that carbon emissions is now a part of the uh, the search tool there because it gives you uh, not only a reminder but a, a really hardcore number to work with and maybe it will change your decision maybe it won't but it's nice to not just be reminded but to have the opportunity to lessen our impact as travelers so I'm really glad that they added that component and since we were on flight searches whether you're on Google flights or not I think this is a good thing to do is set yourself up for flight alerts if you want to get the cheapest flights i know on google flights it's really easy there's just a little toggle switch where you can turn it on to track prices and it'll start sending you email updates but for you my friends you might fly some different airlines maybe you're near a certain airport that's a hub for a particular airline don't be afraid to set up those flight alerts you just might get a cheaper flight next time All right, now I want to slip and slide into today's interview segment. Don't forget to stick around on the back end. After the interview, I want to highlight the counterintuitive saving advice that Matt shared, plus talk a little bit about those spontaneous decisions to travel versus being more analytical and taking your time to make the decisions on those trips. Maybe it's a destination you're considering, or maybe it's just a trip as a whole. There's a little bit of a balance there, so we'll have a little commentary around that. Of course, I'll leave you with a quote. All that happening after the interview. Stick around for that. But now, please enjoy my conversation with Matt, and I will see you on the other side, my friends. Where are you? I'm in Nashville. Ooh. <laughs> I had never been to Nashville, uh, well, with the exception of one occasion, a uh, couple, two, three years ago, I'd driven through it briefly, but um, this is my first time properly being in Nashville because uh, even though I'm only here for a couple of days, I actually got out uh, a little bit yesterday and I got to walk around the city and it is such a beautiful, clean, amazing city. Have you spent much time here? Sort of. Yes. I wanted to spend more. And I think the times I was there, I mean, certainly went out to see live music and things like that, but I, I wasn't super focused on, I don't know. I feel like I could spend more concentrated time there seeing some certain things and, and getting around. I mean, I've been to the Grand Ole Opry and sort of like all the main sites, but yeah, it's a, it's a really cool city, man. Uh, yeah, it's it's awesome, and I, and I had just come from Memphis, which is another city that I had never um, really spent any time in before, and uh, just you know seeing and experiencing Memphis, or at least getting a taste of it, and then, and then being able to experience Nashville, and and as a musician, of course, it's one of the holy grails. <laughs> so, yeah, so man. I, I mean, well, what are you what are you doing there? <laughs> well, actually, it wasn't. I didn't come here necessarily to you know for the purpose of uh of a of a solo trip here um i came as kind of a throughway um on my way to north carolina i'm going to visit a friend in north carolina but um he lives about five hours away from here so it was the perfect opportunity for me to spend some time checking out the city um you know doing my own guided walking tour there's a lot of one of the things during COVID is that you know 
a lot of these tours are still being they're coming back online but the way i prefer to see a city quite honestly is doing my own kind of like walking tour you know i there's there's the options of doing the bus you i could have driven i have my car i could have driven around the city i could have uh you know taken public transportation too and those are all fine ways of seeing a city i think but to really experience to get the to get the um you know the ground level experience of a city and to be able to um enjoy it that way i think is best seen on foot if that's possible for somebody you know best seen on foot sure i agree i'm a huge fan of just walking around see i love walking tours first of all because it's just you're, you're right it's a great introduction and yeah there's something about i don't know you just uh, you slow down right when you're walking you kind of take everything in more in a different way right and see it from a perspective that you wouldn't obviously have seen it otherwise. I also like biking, um, riding my bike, and I brought my bike with me. It's on the back of my car, so uh, <laughs> so I can take that out, you know, when 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 the time calls for that. But um, but yeah, those two, those are two of my two favorite ways of seeing a, a place, you know, on bike, on foot. Well, you are a professional musician, so do you have any? Any hankering to, uh, I'll use hankering because you're in Nashville, a hankering yeah. <laughs> to stick around and, you know, try to try to get into some sessions or something? <laughs> well, <laughs> it's interesting you said that because um, when I, you know, I went to music school many years ago. I'm not going to date myself exactly, but I went to <laughs> I went to music school and it, when when we were all finishing up music school, it was like, you know, the three directions that most people were were going to go to were uh either los angeles new york or nashville i mean that's those were the options like you didn't really have any other options i mean you did of course but that it wasn't you know there was an expectation on some level and um and so i did i did two of those three you know i lived in new york city for about 10 years nearly 10 years and i worked there um and then i uh i lived in Los Angeles, which I still sort of call my home base for about four years. Um, so Nashville is, <laughs> I don't know if Nashville's next, but, um, but um, I'm really at that place in my life where I'm like, I definitely feel nomadic, you know, ever since COVID hit, I feel, and I am, to be quite honest, I'm, I'm very nomadic and the type of work that I do allows me to be nomadic so as far as joining any sessions in Nashville, I don't know, I don't really, <laughs> I don't consider myself, um, in the country music vein so to speak but i but i would i mean any chance any opportunity that a musician can get to you know play in any of these venues or to work with any of the amazing artists that come down here or you know are from here it's a no-brainer you take that opportunity yeah i mean it can't just be coincidental that yeah you're using nashville as a sort of layover it sounds like but i mean you could have just stayed at the hampton inn off the side of the highway somewhere right you could didn't have. have to stop in nashville <laughs> so maybe maybe a little bit of a conscious or subconscious exploration of a, of a next place for you to land potentially yeah, yeah maybe uh maybe i definitely <laughs> I, I was definitely taken with the city in terms of uh like i you know i can't say about i haven't had too many interactions with with its residents, but definitely the um, the aesthetic of the city is one that I definitely vibe with. Mm. Well, I should give you a little intro here. My guest today is uh, Matt Fettbrandt, who we're talking to here. You've just heard from. He's an international piano entertainer who's performed all over the world. 
And one afternoon, while in a sober living house, he had an epiphany that he should travel the world for a year. Despite having only 12 bucks in his bank account, he found a way to make it happen. And today, he is kind enough to be here and to share his story and wisdom gained from that experience. So I should give you a formal, Matt, welcome to the Zero to Travel podcast, my friend. Uh, thanks, Jason. And you know, I, to be able to hear those words coming from your mouth, it's it's interesting when you whenever you say "Welcome to the Zero to Travel Podcast," my friend. Um, I say it along right with you <laughs> in, uh, when nice. I'm driving in the car. It's like you know, you know, the, the community that you've built here is um, is incredible, and um, the connections uh, that you fostered throughout you know the, the run of your podcast has been amazing. And and like I said, you know, when we first connected, I um, you know, I'm humbled and I'm grateful for that. There's this opportunity, this, um, you know, this, this kind of venue to be able to have these kinds of conversations, not just on the podcast. I'm talking about you inspire the conversations to happen off the podcast and to be able to realize some of those travel goals that many of us have, have had, um, ones that I know that I have had, but I didn't really realize that I had had until, really kind of di starting to di digest the information that you and your guests presented on on the podcast. So I appreciate that. I really do. Well, thank you. I mean, and you mentioned conversations off the podcast. That's how we connected. You sent me a, a beautiful email that really, really, like I said to you, this is the, these are the kind of messages that keep this thing going. I had a lot of nice things to say and shared your story. And I thought, man, we got to have Matt on to, to, to share this because you just never know how this is going to hit other people's ears and you know people take a lot of different paths towards travel you you had your own path and your own journey towards travel by the way your website mattplayspiano.com if you want to see matt rocking out at a piano bar which i have a lot of questions about that because that is such a unique job man but before we get into that man i want to hear where your musical journey started because music's a huge part of your life you chose it as a career path where did that begin for you? I had a friend in, I guess it was third grade, um, second, third grade, who played piano. And um, and I thought it was just, I, I saw him play one day and I thought it was the coolest thing. And, you know, he was playing some classical music, also some, um, uh, he was playing some ragtime, you know, some of the Scott Joplin tunes and stuff. And at a, at a very early age and very talented and... Um, and I just thought it was so cool. Uh, it wasn't at that time that I started. I think it was a couple of years after that that I asked my parents, "Hey, can I play piano?" Um, so I, yeah, I, I actually went to them and I said, "I would like to play piano," and they were really cool about it. They, um, but we didn't have a lot of money. You know, it was very. I had a very kind of modest upbringing, and so we just were able to get. Um, I don't think it was a full-sized 88-key keyboard. I think it was probably like 61 keys, something like that, um, keyboard and, on the floor. And so we play, pay, placed that little Casio keyboard on the floor and started playing that way um, for, for, for a few years until kind of graduated up to an upright and then um, and so forth. But, um, but it's interesting. When you were asking that question, I thought to myself, oh my gosh, the guy who inspired me first to play piano my friend michael it was also the the childhood friend that i went to my first national park with and really? which yeah, wow. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which um which of course well, I, you know i imagine we'll talk about later but the but yeah. the <laughs> but the impetus to to travel really kind of began with that friendship so um 
so then, you know, and I and all throughout middle school, high school, I played piano and I did other, you know, performing arts, theater and choir and such. And and I decided in high school I wanted to go to I wanted to make it my career. I wanted to um, I really, you know, focus on this. And it, it, unfortunately, I wasn't able to take a lot of years of uh, of lessons. You know, I we weren't in a position where I could afford to do that. And so uh, I kind of self-taught. And so most of my education um, up until college was self, self-taught um, piano. And I love listening to, to this day, my favorite way to learn how to play a song is, is by ear, you know, and, and I can read music, but I don't, <laughs> what's on the page to me is often quite, <laughs> it's quite stale and, um, and I, I like to be able to, um, uh, Im- improvise on that and to uh, open open the doors, so to speak, of the of of the song. So, so I think that's how I eventually became um, a piano bar entertainer is because it allowed me that opportunity to be able to express myself in a way that wasn't confined to what was written on the page. Um, yeah, I was never I was never contented to be to be confined to what was written on the page. So, you know, after after music college, I I spent some years in New York, about nine years in New York, and I uh, played for was a music director for a dance company. I worked for um, uh, an LGBT youth chorus. Uh, we did a lot of I think we did a lot of great work with um, with promoting social justice through through the arts and um you know and i worked for a number of other nonprofit organizations the bulk of my work up until just a couple of years ago had been work for nonprofit organizations i played music director for theater companies as well so um just try to you know keep my keep it open in terms of how i was able to express my own musicality whether that be through theater arts or through um through uh, i also you know taught voice lessons and and piano lessons and things like that. And so I've, I've had a number of gigs over the years. It was only a couple of years ago that I got into piano bar entertaining. We'll be back in a moment. This episode is brought to you by U.S. Bank. Recently, I went out for tacos and it wasn't even Friday. Yes, we have Taco Friday in Norway, not Taco Tuesday. Well, more importantly, I could have earned rewards for every scrumptious bite of those chorizo soft shells. Introducing the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Earn four times points when you go out for dining or order takeout and restaurant delivery, including tacos. Plus, you can earn two times points when you shop for or order your groceries, two times points when you need to fill up or charge up at gas stations and EV charging stations. You're even rewarded with two times points just for your favorite streaming services. Go to usbank.com slash altitude. Go! To learn more about how you can earn 20,000 bonus points worth $200 if you spend $1,000 in the first 90 days of opening your account. Win big with the U.S. Bank Altitude Go Visa Signature Card. Visit usbank.com slash Altitude Go to apply. Limited time offer. The creditor and issuer of this card is U.S. Bank National Association pursuant to a license from Visa USA, Inc. Some restrictions may apply. This episode of Zero to Travel is presented by the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder. From muddy jungle paths and snowy trails to rolling sand dunes, the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder has the capability to take you to some of the most epic destinations on Earth. We're excited to partner with Nissan because our listeners know we love to celebrate the joy of exploring the world and finding the best 
off the beaten path destinations to visit. And there's no better vehicle for that than the 2024 Nissan Pathfinder with seven drive modes. The Pathfinder's available intelligent 4x4 is built for even the most epic journeys. And it even has the best towing capacity in its class, up to 6,000 pounds. So you can bring the fun with you. But Nissan also knows that it's not just about where you go. In a Pathfinder, the real fun comes from getting there. And that's something we love celebrating here on the Zero to Travel podcast. We believe that life is about finding that joy within the journey itself. And that's why we're thrilled to partner with Nissan to celebrate adventurers everywhere. So thanks again to Nissan for sponsoring this episode of Zero to Travel and for the reminder to chase bigger, better, more exciting adventures and enjoy the ride along the way. Learn more at NissanUSA.com. Now let's get back to the show. At the level you're at, it seems like, was it one of those natural talent things kind of where, I mean, you have to learn, of course, and there's a a ton involved, but was it one of those kind of right away, you just see, oh, this guy, this guy is starting to play tunes and he just got a keyboard like last week and he's already <laughs> sort of figuring it out. Like one of those types of situations, I'm not going to call you like a savant or anything. Cause I don't know. No, but, no, no. <laughs> you know. <laughs> it, yeah, no, I was, I, I was going to say it's no, it's not like a savant situation. I think what it is, is, you know, a little bit connecting back to what I was talking about earlier, the being able to listen to a song and try to, uh, emulate it that's that's one thing and and reading the music from a page is another thing and because i didn't have <laughs> i think it was out of necessity because i wasn't able to um really have the opportunity to have um you know piano lessons formally for many years only for about a year and a half two years max um uh, it was out of necessity that i you know it's just like ear to the ear to the radio you know, listen to what these chord changes sound like and just improvise on that. Just play around. Like I, I've said to students over the years, you know, treat the treat the piano, whatever it is. But, um, you know, for in my case, it was piano students. So treat the piano like it's your sandbox. Treat it like it's your playground. It's a place to explore. It's a place to play. Treat yourself as a kid, no matter what age you are. And so that's kind of how I explored and started to learn my own way of playing piano. And now am I the best technici uh, technician? Absolutely not. You know, there's there's consequences for having not um, for not having studied in such a rigorous manner as a lot of people have or, or you know, but but then again, you know, I wasn't forced to play. And I think if I was forced to play by parents or by a teacher, I, I think that would take a lot of the joy out of it. So it was out of necessity, I think, that I uh, a sense of I need to be able to do this, but I want to do it on my terms. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> that I that yeah, I we like how things to... on our terms here at this yeah. show, right? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Where did you grow up? I grew up in a town called Hemet. Uh, it's a smaller town in Southern California. Um, and yeah, all 18 years, uh, until I went to college in that town. Is, is that a s suburban town? It's like yeah. It's, I mean, the, the, what is it? it's, it's kind of like, um, I would say a desert community, but it's got a desert okay. climate for sure. But, uh, it's a, it's a suburb of a suburb sort of, so okay, to speak. So a, a little more on the rural side, but still quasi suburban in a way. Yeah. I wouldn't call it rural. I would just call it, I would call it suburban. It's kind of in the, one of those in between kind of, um, uh, kind of designations. I, to be honest, I don't know what you would call it, but it, it, when I was growing up there, it had a, um, 
population probably of about I don't know, 50,000, 60,000. And now it's over, well over 100, 110, 20,000 for sure. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it sounds like you've done so many cool things with your, with your music, right? It, it's, uh, you've found ways to, to contribute through your music. And it sounds like it had a very rewarding career in that way in terms of uh, working with nonprofits and, and trying to, I think you said like making a difference with your musicality in some ways. And it sounds like that's been a pretty important part of this whole journey for you. We, by the way, we shouldn't, we should mention you went to the Berkeley college of music. It's not just like any music school. It is the music school to go to, I think in the world. Right. So not an easy place to get into, I would imagine. <laughs> well, I definitely, you know, I cherish my experiences from them, from, from Berkeley. I mean, it was, uh, it was a, it was a learning experience in, in a lot of ways. Um, even more so though, than the, than the education that, I mean, not to, not to take anything away from the education that I received there, but I will say this, the education, the real world experience that I received right after Berkeley, you know, once I moved to New York City, that was that was the meat and potatoes. I mean, that, that was the was, education. <laughs> that was the education. <laughs> I mean, I stepped onto my first gig into my first gig. And um, I remember the uh, it was for a, it's for a dance company and the uh, choreographer, the the lead teaching artist, um, you know, when the music director told her that I was going to be, you know, at her site playing for a school that he had, you know, chosen me to be there, she kind of rolled her eyes and because <laughs> and I had, you know, she had the, the whole audition that, that I had been was I was very it was a whole nascent experience. It was very new to to actually being out in the real world playing. So, yes, Berkeley is a great school and I cherish my time there. And I think that they have amazing teachers. I had an amazing experience. But really what you learn there is just the just the very beginnings of what you need to know for having a successful career in performing. Well, what did you learn about yourself? And I guess we could say the world in some ways, because New York City is a very special city and there's no place like it, really. And, and it's such a mix of cultures and how do you describe New York? I mean, you, you you know, if you've been, you don't need to put words to it. You just know the feeling of New York City when you step out. I always remember every time I went to New York City, you step out and there's just an energy to the city and, and you're just, you're in New York City. You can't really describe it any other way. You spent, you said 10 years, I think, living there. What, what did that experience teach you? Well, at first, I think it was driven more by like an ego thing. You know, if you can make it there, you can make it anywhere type of thing. It was that was that was <laughs> that was sort of I mean, it was early. I was in my early 20s. And I was like, you know, if I can, if I can make it in New York City, you know, I will. And this is not the thinking at the time, I don't think I, this is all in retrospect that this is my, me analyzing the situation. But um, if I can make it here, then I will approve to, you know, these people that I'm good enough. Yeah. But I mean, isn't that like a thrill you know, to get off that, that and I'm, say, you know, you are actively chasing a dream and you're just like, all right, I'm here. I'm here to pursue this thing. There, there's a, a rush in that. Yeah. It, oh, absolutely. And the, and you're talking about the energy of New York City. I think it, 
everything that we've just talked about, you know, both the the energy of the city and also that that drive to, you know, prove oneself, that's very much alive in the in the DNA of New York City. Uh, that's very much alive in the performing arts specifically of New York City, you know, and it can any of the performing arts. And it's very competitive. And um, uh, that's not to say that I didn't that I didn't have, you know, an amazing education and adventure during those 10 years there and that I would never move back there. But but you're right. It is there, the, the energy is both a positive and a negative thing. I think the positive is that it inspires and encourages you and it's all around you the level of talent the level of um of performance in that city is unmatched you know it really it really is and you meet some of the world's um brightest and most inspiring creatives and you know like I'm not putting myself in that category at all but what I am saying is that it was it was a privilege to be able to um to work alongside those people, learn from them, and also maybe at the end of the day to be in their company and to to be able to make art with them was probably one of the highlights of, you know, has been one of the highlights of my career thus far. I'm not big into putting labels on people or or the idea of putting a label on yourself, but I just think it's it can be limiting in a lot of ways. But some of these labels exist like introvert and extrovert. And if you were going to choose where you land on that spectrum, where would you put yourself? Definitely more towards introvert. I, um, social situations, <laughs> I think, I think what, that's actually one of the reasons why I, I chose perform the performing arts was because it was an avenue. It was a channel for me to be able to express myself in a way that I didn't feel self-conscious, you know. Um, and when I step on stage to this day, you know, I, I I do have a little a little sense of that. But for the most part, it's a place where I can I can express myself and I can allow myself to just like let the let the walls you know let the walls fall down and and let down my guard and especially. Um, now as a piano bar entertainer it's just you know it's such a wild ride during some of these performances that <laughs> that we you know and we're and we're in it together and that and that's the biggest part is that i think um as somebody who is more introverted somebody who who finds it challenging to you know strike up conversations with a person out of the blue or to um or to have you know uh really kind of intimate conversations off of the bat it's really difficult to do that and so the intimacy i think that i have found in this kind of mutual performance because like you know at, at, i don't know how many of the listeners have been to a piano bar or what whatnot and i know you know everybody has their own experience it's then there's all kinds to dueling and whatnot but the there's there is at the end of the day at least the way I see it and the way that I like to structure my shows is um, a sense of community. And that community is singing together, performing together. It's kind of what I've done throughout my career in terms of, you know, I was mentioning the nonprofits that I worked for earlier, uh, playing piano and, and uh, music directing for the, the communal community aspect of, of bonding through music, through song is real, is very real. And I mean, there've been scientific studies done on this about, about how it is um, the act of singing together. The act of playing together is one that is 
um, it changes it changes the structure of your brain and and it um, it allows for at the end of the day just you know just very plainly it allows for you to be able to see and be seen by other people in a way that if you are like me a more introverted person it comes as a huge relief and a, and, and a release at the same time mm. I think that's so fascinating because, yeah, on the one hand, the introverted nature probably gives you the space and the time to sort of concentrate on your craft, right? You don't mind kind of working in that way in solitude and, and that sort of thing. But, you know, I think about an, an introvert's like worst nightmare. Again, this is just my assumption would be, you know, getting on stage in front of people and performing <laughs> and having interaction at a very high level, right? Now, I, I find it really fascinating that for you, that is the the welcome part, right? Uh, or the release and or, you know, the place that you can... I mean, I, I've tried to open mic like two times and it was a total disaster because... Well, I don't have the chops, first of all. And secondly, there's just something... I don't get that feeling of getting up in front of people and, and as it's, Oh, okay. This is where I can put the walls down and be myself. It's the opposite for me. I'm just like, Oh my God, look at all these people here. They're looking, this is weird. I think that's so interesting that you get that feeling walking on stage that where that's where you can express yourself in a different way. And I mean, that's a huge, being a piano entertainer. I mean, if you've, if you're listening, if you've never been to a piano bar, you have to go because it is an experience. And like you said, I mean, it, it's very communal, very community oriented but man you still have to you have to be a presence there you know you have to rally the troops you have to kind of <laughs> you create the energy it's all you yeah well it, in a sense it's 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 it has a lot to do with the entertainer you know they they create the vibe uh for they how about this they set the framework for the vibe it's really it's really um you know, and of course, encouraging others to join in on the songs. It's, that's that's a big part of the job to to have the interactive quality um, of the musical experience. Because a lot of people, a lot of people come to you know piano bars, or it doesn't even have to be a piano bar. It could be, you know, like a, a karaoke or whatever get together. And um, that kind of self consciousness does creep in because I think one of the reasons it does, and and the only reason I'm saying this is because it's been told to me through several of my um, students throughout the years is that, you know, somebody, and this is the thing, somebody told you when, not you, Jason, but you, the, the general you, somebody told you when you were young that you weren't good enough, that you should keep your mouth shut, that you, you know, you can't, you, you, you can't sing. It's, it's really unfortunate because the messages I think that that we gain when we were kids, um, those really stick with us. Those really stick with us, and it's very hard to undo. It's very hard to kind of um, peel back the layers of the onion on that one. And so, um, my job when somebody comes in and I can tell that they want to sing a song, you know, I could tell that they, <laughs> you know, and and um, they're like, well, maybe I should do this, or they they whisper in my ear, I want to do this, but I'm but I don't know. I don't think I'm good enough. I get that. I get that at piano bar at, at the piano bars that I've played at. I've gotten so many, um, so many folks that who have come up to me who have been like, you know, can I sing a song? But I don't know if I'm good enough to do it. And I said, well, why don't we just sing? Why don't we sing it together? 
Why don't uh, you know that's maybe that's a way in. Why don't we sing it together? You don't even have to like I, I give them the mic. I'm like, you don't even have to you don't even have to hold the mic up to your mouth. Like just hold it, hold it away if that makes you feel more comfortable. Like let's let's start to just really have this experience together and show each other that hey, it's not about you hitting every note perfectly on pitch in tune with vibrato if it's you know if that's the style of music you know it's not about all of those specificities where you have to feel like you have to be perfect and that's been my thing over the year is like this is advice to myself too because that's something that has helped me back and something that has really kind of um i think I think informed my artistry in a negative way, which is that I I have felt over the years that everything had to be perfect, everything, you know, and if it wasn't, I wasn't going to be able to allow myself to share it with the world. And so just, you know, to sum that all up, I think that having that experience, if you are one of those people who have been, you know, who are introverted, who are, um, who are thinking to themselves, maybe I, I'm not good enough to do this, do it with somebody else you know have that experience bring a friend if not sing with you know sing with the piano bar entertainer sing with a friend and it doesn't have to be just at a piano bar but have the experience with somebody else because doing it alone is often very very scary and kind of sometimes reinforces those negative that negative self-talk so um yeah it's all about that community experience Mm. i think i love that yeah so much power and community and you know, what you were describing, I was thinking about the introvert extrovert thing and, and everything we've been talking about. And, you know, music was sort of functioning as the, as that common bridge, right? It's like, Hey, you know, like you said, you might not be the person that feels super comfortable going up to somebody and just striking up a conversation on the street. But when you have music as a sort of a bridge to kind of build those conversations, then it's kind of like, it's a much easier way through. And I, I think, in some regards, travel can be that for some people, right? I mean, that's where I, I really encourage people to solo travel at some point, even if they don't feel comfortable because you you can learn to use travel as that bridge to create those uh, connections. You know, for some people, it might be travel or music or different things in different situations, but it's nice to find that sort of common ground and, and work there. You can, you can build some deep connections quickly. You know how it is, you got on the road with somebody. I mean, you, you can build a connection pretty pretty fast, you know, because you're kind of going through this experience together, this shared experience. And that's essentially what you're creating a shared experience like over one night when you when you do a piano bar gig, which is fascinating. The music lifestyle isn't necessarily the healthiest lifestyle, depending on how you're how you're doing it. Often can be a lot of late nights and things like that. I'm not sure when it started for you, but you know, you mentioned in the email kind of having this epiphany when you were in the sober living house. And I'm just wondering the drugs and, and, and the addiction and that sort of thing. I mean, when did that become in hindsight, of course, I mean, you know, all of these things start in different ways, but I'm just curious for you what, what that part of your journey has been, because this really leads into the travel aspect, right? But, you know, I think we should get a little bit of background on, on what this part of your life has been before we get into how you then made the transition to travel. Right. Yeah. So, you know, as you mentioned, it, it, it it doesn't all happen at once. It kind of like, it, it it takes years, I think, to kind of build and grow and, um, in a way that is, um, 
in a way that you don't see, you know, sometimes you don't even see it coming. And in my case, um, uh, I fell into a deep addiction in when I was living in New York, uh, probably I would say about four, four or five years living into New York. So this was, you know, maybe around 2012, 2013. And, um, and it got pretty serious. You know, I, I remember one time, um, you know, I'm not going to get into the very, very specifics, but, you know, to, to kind of like lay out how it felt in maybe a single image is I got off the subway one day and I was just staring at that, you know, that hole in the ground and just waiting, waiting for the next subway to come. And as I see the next subway, uh, the next subway uh, train car coming, I was like, what would it be like? What what would it be like if I just jumped in front of it? And um, that was clearly a low point. And uh, it wasn't long after that where, uh, you know, a series of other things happened. And I, you know, I made the decision. I said, I have to, I have to get some help for this. And um, I can't keep living this way. Um, you know, it was affecting all aspects of my life, you know, my career, my, my family interactions, my sense of purpose, everything, my sense of self-worth. I, I decided to go to, to rehab and, um, and so I did that and it, that helped, um, in a sense, you know, it kind of introduced me to the world of, of recovery and, you know, the, the many, many, um, I would I would say the benefits of of living a life in recovery, living a sober life, and for me, I knew you know in my heart of hearts that, that was something that I needed. You know, it's not I can't I, I I didn't think, and to this day, I don't think that I'm able to continue to you know just use drugs and alcohol occasionally here and there. It just doesn't really work. Um, and, um, and I know, you know, that's maybe not the case for everybody, but in my situation, that's, uh, kind of, that's kind of how, where I landed. Um, I, it wasn't that rehab experience wasn't my first or sorry, wasn't my last one. I did go to another one, um, years later, one of the reasons that brought me out to Los Angeles. And, um, it was at that point where I really started to commit myself to, to learning and working, you know, a program of recovery, um, and to really understanding, you know, to bring this back to community. <laughs> I think that's kind of like the theme that's going here is that, is that it was a community that of, of recovering individuals that really have helped me over the years. It's a, it's having that community, the recovery, you know, whatever program that somebody chooses to do, whatever way they decide to work their recovery. Um, that's, that's one thing, but but, but the thing that I have found most beneficial, you know, um, is having a community, having a support network. And so, um, that led to me, you know, living in sober living houses for, you know, off and on for a couple of years in Los Angeles, which brings me to, you know, um, <laughs> when I decided to start traveling in, uh, um, when I was, when I was managing a sober living house in Los Angeles. Yeah. Well, we'll talk about that. What is a sober living house? Is it, is it a rehab facility? Is it something in between? I educate me. Yeah. Here. So they, they, um, often referred to as halfway houses. I think that's kind of like an, for me, it seems like an antiquated term, but it's not, 
it's only antiquated in the sense that you know there's a stigma around that term but it's it's in the sense that it's halfway between an inpatient program where you know where everything is monitored you know your your cell phones are taken away your um, your day is structured, like a, an inpatient rehab program like that, in between that and full, quote, quote unquote, freedom living. So like being able to make your own choices, going wherever you want to go, having your own apartment, that type of thing, like the quote unquote normal lifestyle. So it's halfway between that. Um, so in other words, the I like to use the word, the term sober living home or sober living house. Um, uh, just, it's, just, it's, it's just my preference. And so um, and so the structure of those that kind of varies widely too, but often the basic um, the foundations of it are that they're built around a course, like I said before, they're built around a community. Um, there's and it can be, um, you know, there could be men and women um, and and uh, people who identify uh, uh, as not as not either man or woman, but it, it could be broken up in terms of. Um, in terms of those labels, um, depending on the specific sober living home. Um, so there could be an all men sober living home, men helping men, you know, through their sobriety, but generally everybody's living together. You often have, um, times where there's shared meals, um, shared, you know, eating experiences to be able to talk about the day, that type of thing. You know, chores are are assigned and everybody has to do their chores. Usually, a lot of times, Silver Living's House, you don't have your own space. You have to live, um, you, you're assigned a room and, and a bed and you have to live in that room with somebody else. Um, sometimes, <laughs> in my opinion, if you get lucky, you get to have your own room. And so there's a little bit of respite from the from the constant, like I said before, you know, I'm a little more of an introvert, so I like my, <laughs> I like my alone time, but, um, but yeah, that's generally the structure of them. And, and the stay, um, the length of time that one would stay at one, you know, depends. Sometimes I've, you know, when I was managing a house in, in Los Angeles, we would have people stay anywhere from a day or two. And then they decided it wasn't for them, um, to years. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks. Thanks for sharing all that. And I think, you know, the moment you shared on the subway there or, or next to the subway was, you know, it's about as vulnerable as you can get. So thank you. I think that, you know, paints the picture kind of where things were for you. And I want to dive into this moment because when you wrote me the email, if you don't mind, I'm just going to read a little snippet of this email. You said, one afternoon in July 2019, while living in a sober living house in Los Angeles and working on my recovery, I looked down at my desk and was staring at two paychecks from a gig I had recently played. It was one of those rare moments in life where a calling came to me in just an instant. I said to myself, I'm going to start saving to travel the world for a year. I had just $12 in my bank account, and up until that point in my life, due to my addiction issues as well as my injudicious spending habits, I had never been able to save more than a couple hundred dollars at any one time. Cut to seven months later, March of 2020, I had reached my goal of saving $20,000 to travel the world. <laughs> Holy crap, man. <laughs> well, I mean, that's huge. Congratulations, first of all. And, and, and we're going to talk about what you did with your trip and, and traveling around to the national parks, traveling 16,000 miles through 34 states and, and some of this other stuff. But man, we got to start with unpacking some of this above because, you know, a huge part of travel, of course, there's the, 
the intention, the commitment. I mean, it sounds like within that moment, you almost had those things immediately, right? This intention, like real true commitment to this idea of travel. But then there's like sort of logistical aspects, a huge part of which is saving money. So, you know, how did you go from living your entire life from not being able to save hardly anything to being able to save $20,000? Like, how did you change your mindset, your habits, you know, anything that we can pick out here? Yeah, I'm shaking my head because, you know, when I when I hear it read back to me, it's yeah. it's even more, you know, confounding, <laughs> confounding. <laughs> yes. <laughs> then. Um, and uh, so we talked about like these kind of like white light experiences and that and they're not as traumatic, I think, as they sound necessarily. They can be. But but in my case, it wasn't like a, you know, boom, I, I felt like I was hit with something. But it was just it was just a realization. It was like. Okay, I want to do this. And and now the reasons behind all that, I think I think it, it came from a place of feeling and this is all of course in retrospect kind of like analyzing it, but I think it came from a place of really knowing how vulnerable I was and how I could have easily within any of my runs, my you know, my runs, I could have died. And I and I've had friends who have died and um, it's been very, it's, it's, it's a painful situation um, in any case when you have somebody close to you who dies, but, but when you're in a community of people where that's constantly happening, um, it's, it's a reminder. I think it's a reminder that uh, you know, that's the present moment and living, living and really kind of just, being open to experiences in life. Life is about experiences for me and, and, and sharing those experiences. And so I wanted to, um, I, I think what that was, was a realization, a profound realization in a moment that it was like, this is something that I've wanted to do since I was really young. And I don't, you know, I'm, I've been very fortunate, blessed, lucky, whatever word you want to use to, be here still. And so why not take that opportunity and, uh, and, uh, you know, devote your time, devote my time and energy to being able to make that happen. And of course it didn't just happen like that. I had, you know, I had a lot of luck along the way and, you know, great fortune and support, you know, this show being one of them, this podcast being one of them, um, where I learned a lot and how to do specific things like save. And, you know, I had never, like I said, I had literally had $12 in my bank account and I'd never been able to save more than a hundred dollars at a time throughout my entire life. That day I opened up, I think it was Google sheets. I love it. I love Excel spreadsheets. So, <laughs> and they've been extremely helpful in this process. I had never had a budget, set a budget before, but what I did was I, I, I created an Excel spreadsheet and started tracking every penny that came in and every penny that went out every single day. And um, while that might be have gone overboard, I think in some people's um, assessments, but I think that it really helped me see where the money was, where it was coming in, where it was going. And um, it wasn't something that was automated. There's a lot of programs, you know, apps that will automate it, but it was, but I decided I want to see manually. I want to see where the money's coming in, where it's going. And um, every time that I had some extra cash, you know, for 
through through playing a gig or whatever, you know, I set it aside in, into um, my bank account. And I know that doesn't really answer the question all that great because I don't know that to this day, and I've been thinking about it, how, why, you know, um, I was able to do that in kind of like this in an instant, just kind of changed my mindset for a lifetime of habits that had gone, you know, against all of that. But I think it does come from that place of, of a realization of wanting to be able to experience life and knowing that I had been so close to death at so many points of my life. And, and, um, and it's just a, it was a gift, really. It was a gift to me to be able to Mm. realize that. Incredible. Congratulations on on just the turnaround so quickly too, uh, in terms of the uh, setting the intention to travel and then just getting right into it. You know, <laughs> I mean, I, I think the the key there, if I could pull anything out, is just you know having that real intention and commitment to a trip or to a, to a lifestyle or, or travel, what, whatever that means to you. Right in your case, it was you know you were gonna sounds like you were just gonna save a, a bunch of money. Uh, and take off and do something and have these experiences. And that was going to be enough. And that gave you something to shoot for, right? And then what you did essentially by creating the spreadsheet sounds to me is you just created a hyper awareness around something that you'd struggle with. Like you said, instead of, I mean, that was smart. Instead of automating it, you were just tracking it manually. And that really allowed you to see what was happening on a day-to-day level. Because a lot of these things you know, like saving money. I mean, it's, it's happening in sort of these micro amounts, right? So it's, it's easy to kind of lose track of things in a day-to-day world that we live in. But when you're tracking it all, it's just going to force you to kind of take a look at where you can make improvements. And I, I think there's some saying there, it's like track what you want to grow or something like that. I think it's a good general rule, you know, because otherwise you don't know if it's growing or declining. (laughs) We'll be right back. Would you love to have an incredible cup of coffee every day? I've tried it all. I've done the pour over. I've done the French press. But I tasted an AeroPress coffee many years ago. And immediately, I was sold. I had to get one. AeroPress is a patented three-in-one brew technology. This combines the flavor benefits of espresso, pour-over, and French press all into one compact portable device built for travel or home. I love things you can use in both places. This device has over 55,000 five-star reviews in over 60 countries. AeroPress is the best-reviewed coffee press on the planet. I've owned one for so many years, I don't even remember how long it's been. And they are under 50 bucks So they also make an exceptional gift, thoughtful, proven, tasty, and travel-oriented. Who wouldn't love that? Now, you get 20% off just for being a listener of this show at aeropress.com slash zero to travel. That's aeropress, A-E-R-O-P-R-E-S-S dot com slash zero to travel. That will save you 20% on checkout. Thanks to Aeropress for supporting today's show. Hey, it's Jason here. Did you know you are invited to join the first ever Zero to Travel community trip? Yes, we're planning a trip together. We're headed to Morocco November 30th through December 9th. And you can get all the details at zerototravel.com slash trip. It's open for booking now. We have 13 spots left at the time of this recording. And you have until the end of March to book. So if you're interested in traveling with an amazing community, this community, a small group of people, on an incredible journey through Morocco together with me, 
Sign up over there at zerototravel.com slash trip to get all the details. Thanks for listening and hope to see you there. Now, back to the show. But I mean, the driver for you is this was this uh, motivation to travel. And you said, also in the email, you said, I believe that the primary catalyst of my resolve to travel came from a deep place of wanting to grow. You know, there are a lot of different ways one can grow as a person. So why did you think travel was that for you? I think that by traveling, traveling is one of the best, one of the best ways to be able to understand, to understand, period. So um, now you could take that in a few ways, understand other cultures, understand other people, understand, um, understand your relationship to nature which has been a, a big part of this past year, which I didn't think it would be um, due to the change in plans of my travel plans. But uh, I thought mine, mine was going to be more of a cultural experience in terms of, you know, um, going to different countries and meeting. And, and I have done some of that, but largely it was, it was, it has been nature based um, over the past year, but growth in terms of understanding my relationship to these other things um to to things outside of myself so to speak you know like uh, i i've spent so much time over the over the past few years you know um quote unquote doing work on myself <laughs> that's air quotes right there doing work on myself and um at a certain point you know of course that work is necessary i think it's necessary to grow um the work is important but also uh it's very important to be able to understand each other. And as somebody who's comes from, you know, a marginalized community, um, I think a couple of marginalized communities, I, I feel like there's, there's room for me to be able to be an advocate, not only for, um, not only for myself, but for the, the, the importance of connection. It's the only way that we, you know, that we, are going to have you know some peace with each other if we are and I don't want to get too woo woo about this but it, it but get woo woo <laughs> by all means get woo woo <laughs> well well you know like I it's just op my observations and and take these for what they are but but my observations are those who a, a lot of times I, I I've had friends who have made the choice or or because of a certain circumstance have never really ventured outside of um, their hometown or, you know, gone to um, a place that was or seen people interacted with people who may be a little bit different looking, acting than themselves, you know, et cetera. And so I think I was very fortunate in that, you know, when I when I moved to New York, coming from a town that was really small to be able to have exposure at a minimum just to have exposure to different ways of living, to different lifestyles. And so I think what travel can do is really open, broaden those, broaden those perspectives that, and to this day, it's happening for me. I find myself, you know, making a judgment um, on somebody or, you know, having a preconceived notion. It happens every day, all the time. But at least now I'm able to start to realize that that's happening. Um, and I think travel can do that, has done that to a large extent, just being able to interact with um, something that is different than your own experience that has been so, so, you know, tightly held since the time that you were young uh, is, is important. 
Yeah, so well said. I, it's uh, in, in many ways, I feel like, I think it's, <laughs> all right, well, hey, let's go out and learn about the world and we take so much in. But a huge part of travel is also letting go of a lot of things, like preconceived notions or judgments or things like that, you know? And those are the important things. I was thinking <laughs> the things that you mentioned just now are the important things, but the things that are less important, but to a certain degree still important, are things, material things, you know, um, and, which was part of my part of my story, too, in that when I moved into the sober living, you know, like there's no room to bring uh, you know, to bring all the furniture that you had. There's yeah. no room to bring all that. That's what we call forced stuff. minimalism, yeah. right? <laughs> <laughs> and, and, and it was great. Oh my gosh, Jason. It was great because it was such a freeing experience. And I think I heard on your show, one of your guests, um, I don't know what year, what, what, what year it was from, but one of your guests a while back said every time that they bought something new, they uh, resolved to get rid of something or to donate something. I've tried to hold on to that philosophy. Um, and, you know, living out of necessity, living the sober living was, was, uh, grads for me to be able to live that kind of minimal lifestyle, forced minimal, <laughs> minimalist lifestyle. But then it just became, after that, it became something to, to, to value, really to value because the, with the fewer, material possessions i have the happier i am and and i i really see it It, every time i every time i buy something i'm like i do have that i have that initial rush and then i'm like okay how long am i going to use this for and and you know you know that story that whole that whole thing yeah i mean well it's it's (laughs) it's great it's life-changing forced minimalism is uh not a bad thing no (laughs) you know that's one of the things that backpacking and you know, taking off to see the world is it's a part of it, right? You can't just sort of discount it as, you know, it's a part of the experience. Yeah. I think when you change your relationship to material things that, that tends to stay with you, right? Like it's a total reversal. If you grew up, you know, kind of valuing the collection of stuff and then all of a sudden you start to see the value in having less stuff, it just flips everything. And then you do become more discerning with what you bring into your life and things like that. And I think it's a good thing for, you know, personally for individuals and for the planet, really, you know, as consumers, it's, I mean, I, we're, and I'm, I'm, man, I'm looking around at toys and all this stuff here. I mean, more stuff than I've ever had in my life in this house, but still with my own stuff every day, I'm like, oh, okay, what can I get rid of next? How can I, you know, pair this yeah. down? I can't really control some of the things going on in this house right now, <laughs> but, uh, but I'm, I'm trying, man. But it's another part of the travel experience that you carry with you, I think, and, and a powerful one. Um, I want to talk about the trip. I mean, obviously, COVID changed your plans, but you saved $20,000, and then you ended up going to uh, staying in the U.S., and sounds like you did it you know, very safely under, you know, respectfully and all that. But you said you went to 16,000 miles, 34 states, 18 national parks. First of all, what was the trip like? What was it like? pulling out that first day, like meeting your goal, saving all that money, getting in the car. It must have been a magic. Uh, maybe it's like I'm doing the Hollywood thing where it's just, you know, <laughs> the tops down and the wind's blowing in your hair. And, well, you know, well, it was torrential rain. Uh, okay. rain so. <laughs> yeah. so, um, uh, yeah, no, it was in some, in some respects, it was sort of like, you know, cinematic, but, um, in others it was, it was very, uh, it was very scary because um, I had just so this was would have been March, March of 2020. And um, 
Okay, that's just when things were really ramping up. Right. Uh, yeah. Right around the time that in the United States, it was, the pandemic was declared as a pandemic. And I um, had been playing a gig at that. I was supposed to play a gig for the entire month of March in Santa Barbara, California. And I had played half of that gig. So around the 15th, 16th of the month, um, they were like, you know, governor's orders, we have to shut down. And so... Um, <laughs> My original my original flight date was, was supposed to be uh, April Earth Day, April in April of 2020. So um, I had just given up my my spot at the sober living house. So I had nowhere to live. Um, I had just lost my job, <laughs> and COVID, and COVID was was you know breaking out, and we didn't know you know how long or what was going to go. So I said to myself, I was sitting in in my car, um, downtown Santa Barbara, and I was saying to myself, you know, what's what am I going to do? So I opened up my phone and I looked at, I opened up Google Maps and I looked up the United States, and I just started kind of like moving my finger around and stuff like that. <laughs> wow. <laughs> and, and I went down to Texas and like kind of like pinched and pulled and looked like, oh, hey, look, look here in Texas, there's a national park. It's called Big Bend. And, um, and I was like, okay, I'm going to go. <laughs> and, but it, in my case, it was, you know, like, like I'm. But you, you had a lot of additional stresses because, you know, like all the things you just mentioned are unusual <laughs> you know like you gave up your spot covid a pandemic you know that's a lot of extra stress for yeah uh, and maybe and, like and maybe it maybe it sparked me in a, in a negative way to make an impulsive decision but at the same time in retrospect i don't regret a moment of it not not a second of it because i knew that i wanted to incorporate travel somehow i knew i had to do it in a safe way and i knew and i said to myself before i even started i was like okay i'm gonna get tested you know regularly and and if i ever do come back positive for covid that's the end of the trip you know i'm gonna i'll get an airbnb somewhere and hunker down or whatever so yeah i was just it was just a matter of as a lot of these decisions have kind of as far as travel has gone, you know, decisions that I've made to go to Guatemala or to Mexico, which also happened within this last year, um, year and a half, I should say, uh, have happened in a very short amount of time because I find the more that I, I'm very an analytical and the more that I think about something, I can talk myself out of, there's, there's great reasons why I shouldn't do this, 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 and this. There's always quote unquote, great reasons. And sometimes there are legitimate reasons, but, <laughs> but, but, but I think we have a tendency, or at least I have a tendency to, to find and cherry pick the, the, the reasons why it's like, it's best to do this tomorrow or later. You know, I don't want to be, I don't, you know, I, one of the big things was I don't want to be 70 years old and, you know, or 65 years old and, and, and maybe not being in a physical shape to do this anymore. You know, and I know, I realize that there are a lot of 65, 70 year olds who are able to, you know, to, to, who are mobile and everything. But, but at the same time, I was like, I want to, I want to have some energy and I want to be able to do this. So I'm going to do it now. And so that kind of, off the cup, like spur of the moment decision to just get in the car and to drive to toward Big Bend was um, it was one out of necessity. Number one, because I was living in, I guess I was living in my car. I guess that's how you would describe it. And and two, I wanted, you know, I wanted to see, I wanted to see a, uh, to travel, and the national parks were a place that I thought to myself, if I'm going to be 
if I'm going to be anywhere that's outdoors, like why not choose a place that has sprawling, that has so much outdoor space <laughs> that I can safely distance, at least distance myself to the point where I feel comfortable comfortable doing that and i think the national parks um that, there was a calling and there was actually for the I, I don't know if it was the director of the national parks or um, department of the interior that issued a statement saying that they were encouraging people to get out and to explore the parks during this time it's so important for um i think it was important for my mental health to be able to have some outdoor experiences and to not be able not feel like i was um inside all the time because i could have you know honestly i could have got uh, an airbnb or tried to rent an apartment or something and you know and then hunker down but um that just wasn't what was calling to me mm -hmm. so yeah in the eternal uh battle of the practical mind the, the reasons you should or should not do something you're just choosing the to to lock onto the thoughts that like argue for the hey let's just do this <laughs> which uh you know which can be reckless one... which can be reckless like, i mean well, like, let's, let's be let's be let's be honest i mean there's there's a balance to all of this right at the end of the day there there is a balance and and um there's you know i i was taught a long time ago make out a make out a list like write it down a pros and cons list what are the pros and of course you know there's there's a bias there's going to be a bias and um, and and then we have the confirmation bias of like, okay, well, this all these things are happening, so it must mean that you know, like, so the thing that I was looking for is definitely the thing that I should that I should pursue. So, um, I, you know, I can't say. It, and when I, when I left Santa Barbara, it was I was driving toward you know from California towards Arizona, and um, at the moment that it, this was the cinematic part. The moment that I crossed over the border, I got a text message from a friend that said, uh, Governor Newsom, who's the, the governor of California, uh, Governor Newsom just shut down the state and issued a stay in place order. The moment that I <laughs> and and at the same time I said it was raining, it was. It was torrential downpour all the way into Arizona. But when I got into Arizona, there was a double rainbow right there at the same time. So I thought to myself, hey, it's a sign. I'm just going <laughs> to. <laughs> Double rainbow. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I, <laughs> and uh, escape from LA, you know, yeah, in one exactly. moment. That's exactly. very cool, man. That is, well, I mean, yeah, you call it a sign <laughs> from the universe or whatever you want, but that's, that's pretty powerful. Um, now, now you're nomadic, I guess. Is that what's happening here? Are I you guess. living off of <laughs> the money you saved? Uh, um, I, you know, what are you doing? And, and how, I mean, yeah, well, I have a, couple more questions yeah that, but. <laughs> yeah um i guess i would consider myself nomadic now because i don't i didn't you know get an apartment and um and i've been staying everywhere from airbnbs to um hotels to camping i spent i spent several i spent a number of months um with my folks which was great to reconnect with them because you know if any if i if I can use this term silver lining as it relates to the pandemic, I even hesitate to use that. But if there is a silver lining, then um, there was being able to also being able to, you know, reconnect with my folks. I, I think we have to find our own silver linings in these situations. Yeah. Just have to. That's yeah. not a vote for uh, having a pandemic. You know? yeah, I, don't no. anybody, <laughs> I don't think anybody's taking it that way. So. And so, and so, yeah, I just, uh, you know, it, it's been, 
it's been split up in a number of ways, accommodations, and um, and part of it has been living off my savings. Part of it is um, pandemic un- um, unemployment assistance. Part of it is, you know, I haven't been able to work for a year. The gigs are just starting to come back, and 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 entertainment, live entertainment. It's like that that was going to be the last one to come back because, especially at bars, <laughs> because because that you know nobody that's not considered an quote unquote essential. But I do think that um, now that that the gigs are going to start to come back, that I will continue to live this kind of lifestyle. It's one that I really um, gravitated towards. And when Nomadland came out, you know, <laughs> I was I, I really connected with that. In you know, I haven't been on the road as long as many of those folks have been, but um, there is a sense of freedom and in being able to. Being able to choose where you know and 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 to explore different destinations when you when you want to and obviously you know now that more people are going to be location independent as a result of the pandemic um, and and jobs and companies being offering that type of employment um, structure, I think people are going to be able to find that they that they too are going to find some some joy in being able to explore different places that you know that they may have never um may have never had the opportunity to go to before at least didn't think that they had the opportunity to go to before which was the situation i had i thought i had to live in los angeles or new york city and be a musician in those cities but often the things that we think of is not the way things turn out so i'm just grateful to be able to be able to live this lifestyle and who knows maybe in two five years i won't like it anymore but in the moment now is is what I'm focusing on and um, and I'm enjoying it. Well, hey, anybody listening, if you're looking for a, an awesome piano man, mattplayspiano.com. You could bring him to bring him to your city. <laughs> he's traveling. He's on the road. He's ready to go. That's awesome. Give us your top three piano tunes right now. <laughs> piano tunes. Top three as in top three that I like to play or top three that are requested? However you want to interpret it. Maybe that you like to play would be good. Oh, man. Or, or, uh, or you like to listen to. It might not I like even playing, be something. I like playing Freebird. Um, because I I interpret the because I interpret the um the guitar, the guitar solo in my own way on the wow. on the piano. I'd love to hear that. <laughs> that sounds epic. Yeah, I like um. Let's see. Hotel California is always fun to play, even though it's requested quite a bit. Um, again, because I like doing the guitar solos uh, on the piano. And um, oh gosh, you know, I a lot of these songs uh, I've, I've played and sung so many times, and and I don't know. The third one would be I'm okay. So my background is is a lot in musical theater, so. Uh, so I like playing uh, definitely and at a couple of the piano bars I played at, they've been more show tune based um, piano bars. So it would probably be something, something Broadway, something like, I don't know, jazz, maybe like in the candor and ebb type of thing. Like, you know, something that just gets us something that just gets us smiling and going like that. So, so yeah, I don't know how we got from Freebird to show tunes, but that's what happens in the, pi- <laughs> hey, that's man. what happens in the piano bar scene. <laughs> That's right. I love it. That pretty much says it all, right? I mean, if I were there right now, I'd be requesting Daniel. That I just love Daniel. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. Beautiful song. So, uh, well, man, I want to respect your time. I, I feel like we have a lot more to talk about. We have to do a part two at some point. Uh, maybe talk a little bit more about music and and 
some specific national parks and things like that. It'd be nice. I mean, I'd love to do it in person. I, we got to get you a gig out here in Norway, I guess. My my you know? agent actually um, was set set up a gig for me in Norway, and it really? fell through. Well, this was pre COVID, and then it okay. fell through as a result. So, but I was gonna. <laughs> that was when I was first gonna message you and say like, "Hey, uh, we well, got I mean, to tell him to set it up <laughs> again. Come on." <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I would love to, I would love to uh, yeah connect in person, and I just appreciate everything um, everything you do, Jason. It just uh, it really has inspired me, and and um, for anybody who's listening, yeah that that saving up that $20,000 was was in no small part to the advice and the help that I've gotten from you and from your from your uh, guests. So really appreciate mm. it, Jason. Well, no, thank you. I mean, you, you did the hard work and going back to kind of put a bow on this, I'd say that's the power of community, right? I mean, that's what we're trying to foster here and just getting to share these stories. And I'm so glad that the podcast has been helpful in that way to you. And now you've come on to pay it forward to um, share your story and, you know, to help others in, in that way. So uh, thank you so much for taking the time. Again, check out mattplayspiano.com if you want to catch up with Matt, send him a message or um, just hear, watch him, watch him perform in one of the piano bars, check out what he does. Uh, very cool stuff. And uh, you're an awesome guy. I hope we can keep in touch, Matt. And thanks so much for your time today. Absolutely. Thanks, Jason. All right. Take care. So thank you to Matt for taking the time to not just be on the show, but to write that initial email to get in touch and to share his story, being so vulnerable and just laying it all out there. He wasn't asking to be on the show or anything. And I, I just thought, man, we have to share this with the community. And I just love when uh, you all get in touch and I get to learn a little bit more about you. So please never hesitate to reach out. Jason at zero to travel.com is my email. You can also leave me in voicemail. In fact, I got one just the other day. Have a quick listen. So I'm outside listening to your podcast. I'm so sorry to hear you're sick. I'm glad you had a good time in London. I hope you feel better soon. Sending you lots of love and healing from Northern California. And this is Mariah. Thank you for your show. Now, how sweet is that? <laughs> Thank you, Mariah. Yes, if you've listened to the last couple shows, I did come down with something nasty. And I feel a lot better now. The rest of my family's sick, <laughs> but I'm feeling pretty good, and I appreciate you checking in. That was so sweet. So anyway, thanks for the voicemail, and it's just always a pleasure to open up the voicemail box and to get these. It doesn't take more than 90 seconds. You don't have to put an email in or anything. It's free. You just go, and you leave a message and get in touch, and I'll send you a message back. So thanks again for checking in, and I was getting those Northern California vibes. I can feel that ocean air. Love it. Okay, couple things on this interview. First of all, this advice to me was a bit counterintuitive because when I tell people to save money for travel, one of the first things I say is to automate your savings, to set up an automated way in which your money can be deposited from whatever collective bank account it's in to a separate account or somewhere else so you just don't even see it go. It just goes and it gets put into a travel fund and you don't even pay attention to it. You're not allowed to touch it. And then when Matt said he was tracking everything manually and not automating things intentionally, I thought it was a wonderful exercise if you are somebody who's having trouble saving. And as Matt mentioned, it's tough to be that meticulous. Not everybody might track every single little thing. 
But if you're having a hard time, that might be the way to go, even if you only do that for a week or two, just to get your head around everything that's going on. You know, saving money for, and we could do a whole podcast on personal finance, but saving money for travel, you got to have the money to travel, right? You don't have to have as much as you think, as you probably have learned, either through your own experience or listening to this show, but you do need some, right? And that was a nice piece of advice that I just wanted to kind of share and pull out of the show as a reminder. This is going to tie in with this pretty incredible quote I found that I'm going to leave you with in a few moments, all about the habit of saving money, what it can do for you. And I was just searching for a quote on saving money, and this one popped up, and I'm like, this is perfect. So I'm going to leave you with that before I let you go. First, I do want to talk about this idea of planning a trip spontaneously. I shouldn't say planning. Going on a trip spontaneously versus being more analytical about it. Something else Matt and I talked about. And that idea of a spur-of-the-moment kind of decision as Matt seemed to embrace as part of the first leg of his journey. This is always tough. And one thing this reminded me of as I was reflecting on this was a book I read recently called The Surrender Experiment by Michael Singer. And the whole book, it's essentially his autobiography. He's the guy that wrote The Untethered Soul also, which that book is one of my favorite of all time. The Surrender Experiment is interesting in the sense that it's an autobiography. So you get to hear his story and how he used surrender as a mindset to just basically throw himself into life and how it led to so many great things for him and how he used it in some of the toughest parts of his life as well. Truly surrendered, which is not an easy thing to do. And that's one thing that popped up in my head when we mentioned the spur of the moment trip. Should you kind of take a trip spur of the moment? Should you be more analytical about it? I think both of those avenues, or that's, if that's a spectrum, there's a, sort of that's on either end and you have everything in between, right? I think all of those uh, points on the spectrum can serve you in different ways throughout your life. Uh, maybe sometimes if you're hemming and hawing too much and you find that you've been putting travel out for a long time, going with the attitude of just surrender and being more spontaneous, spur of the moment about it and just being like, okay, you know what? Yeah. Okay. This place. Yeah. Let's, I don't know much about it or I don't know. I just need to get this trip going. I just need to get my life on the road going, whatever the case is. So let's just, let's just freaking do it. Sometimes I think that's necessary. (laughs) I think planning ahead is necessary too at times. Again, both of these modes can serve you as a traveler, making the spur of the moment spontaneous decision to travel and the more analytical long-term planning. The question is, which of those is going to serve you best next? And that's a question for you to answer for yourself. And only you, of course, can know that answer. But sometimes it's good to kind of point these things out and just think about them and, hmm, you know, have I been too analytical or have I been too spontaneous recently? And has that led to bad things? or quote-unquote bad things, maybe I should switch things up the next time. Just some food for thought. Just, again, like I said in the beginning, just some commentary to throw out and share with you, something to think about, something to chew on. Okay, I'm going to leave you with this quote. Again, I thought this was wonderful when I Googled it up because it really ties in with what we were talking about around saving. And this is from T.T. Munger. He said, 
The habit of saving is itself an education. It fosters every virtue, teaches self-denial, cultivates the sense of order, trains to forethought, and so broadens the mind. There you have it. You might have thought you were just saving money, but you were doing all those other things at the same time. (laughs) All right, I'll let you get out of here. Have a wonderful day. Smile, take a chance today, book a trip. If you'd like, maybe a spur-of-the-moment trip. Who knows? Maybe be a little analytical, plan one out. And enjoy the rest of your day. Thanks again, and I'll see you next time. Cheers. This podcast has been brought to you by ZeroToTravel.com. Ideas and advice to make your travel dreams a reality.